Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello and welcome to the 442 Podcast. I'm James Brown, Editor-in-Chief of the title. Today I'm joined by one of the most respected British football writers and authors, Paddy Barkley. Hello, Paddy. Hi, James. And Thank you also very much joined for by 442's most prolific writer and editor, Chris Flanagan. Hello. Bolton Wanderers fan. Indeed. Now, normally we have a script for this, obviously, and, uh, and we lead through, but we've just been, before we've started, we've been talking about old football comics, so... Mm. Um, we're not going to recap, but just carry on, Paddy. Well, just uh, basically what I was saying, I was, I was remembering a footballer called Limpalong Leslie. I can't remember which comic he was in, but he was a brilliant midfield player. Um, uh, but he was was always what, injured. He was, uh, he was he was he had special needs, you know. He was he was he limped. Okay, and his, and his nickname because in those days, um, you know, people weren't as politically correct as they are now his nickname was limp along leslie but he wasn't as good as the athlete in another comic called alf tupper the I remember alf the tupper. track yeah i remember that. and he had difficulty motivating himself unless he passed the fish and chip shop and the smell of fish and chips would absolutely drive him crazy he'd go and have fish and chips and he'd then do He'd win any race he went in for. Do you think, uh, Chris, you I mean, how old, you're th- mid-30s? Uh, 35, yeah. Okay, so I'm like, <coughs> yeah, and uh, Paddy's just, Paddy's <laughs> just turning 50. I'll never but, see 70 You know again. what, I, I know this is, uh, we're, to- we're totally off script here, but the um, when I was a kid reading Billy Dane, Billy's Boots, yeah. Nipper Lawrence, uh, the the two the kind of the, there was a story about Bobby the Blues, Jack of the Reds, or something like that. Was it? Was that there was there was one that was kind of like the yeah. Charlton Brothers at yeah, Big yeah. Rivals. Oh yes, uh, Hot Shot Hamish Hamish. Yeah, um, Billy the Fish. These these obviously Roy Race. The, the, these oh, things kind of shaped player. my love of football. Yeah, because every Saturday or whenever day the comics arrived, or you get them from from the news agents. It was there. It was the football. It was the most access to football you got, yeah. unless you got shoot as well, because football just wasn't on television then, other than a but, but you know, maybe one match pl- a week. All of those players had one thing in common great attitude. And <laughs> 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 often overcoming hardship. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Did in you have m- anything like that when. Uh, probably not, to be honest. No, I was probably, when you know, I was a kid, it was probably like Match Magazine and Shoot and stuff like that, really. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and obviously 442 so started the just after that. Yeah, rea- reality yeah. was beginning to kick in. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember thinking Nipper Lawrence was a gypsy kid or a homeless kid. Yeah. And 
but he used to spend ages on a bit of waste ground banging a ball sh- yeah. shoeless yeah. into a bucket 20 yards away. You know, that is inspi- inspirational. Really. Yeah, but it, was, but it was, it in a way, it was saying, and then the, the other kid, Billy Dane, he got his boots second hand and the, and the uh, Billy's boots, and they belonged to a former, you know, a kind of a, uh, oh, not, I don't know, he'd be like a Shearer type character called yeah. Deadshot Keen. Yeah. And when he wore these boots, <laughs> the ghost of Deadshot Keen would so appear. So they still had magic in them. Yeah. Yeah, but it yeah. kind of like, it, it, it gave magic to football. Yeah. When it was a far away thing. Because like, even in those days, Chris, you didn't, you didn't even get highlights of games. On Saturday night, yeah. it would be Ipswich versus Derby County or Leeds yeah. versus Liverpool or Manchester City yeah. versus Crystal Palace, whoever it was. That was it. You got like 40 minutes of it. Mm. Uh, and then you get Derek Dugan discussing it or whatever it was on ITV. Well, that was punditry. Yeah. That was punditry. I mean, they didn't waste a word. They were fighting with each of a Paddy Crerand and Derek yeah. Dugan. Uh, you, you could kind of imagine them as soon as the, uh, the break came on, they'd be... You know, hammering each other. You know, I, I can remember my mum ringing Yorkshire TV, yeah, and getting through to Derek Dugan <laughs> to find out if Leeds were going to be on when ITV had the the big match. Yeah, because whether to let me stay up and watch it, it was bizarre <laughs> sitting on the steps <laughs> watching the talk. And she said, "Who's Derek Dugan?" I said, "He's the presenter. He used to play for Ireland. <laughs> He's like." He's played for Wolves. Well, anyway, the, look, let's one move of the on. Best center for okay, in the first, world. let's get up to date. Uh, Sarri has left Chelsea and they're in for former golden boy Lampard. Mm. How does that sit with you, Paddy? Well, uh, I think like a, like a lot of people, uh, I want it to happen. I mean, Frank Lampard uh, has a tremendous image as a player. And I think those of us who've been lucky enough to meet him uh, know that that's not just image. That is the bloke. He is the one of the nicest people, I would say, one of the most intelligent people I've met uh, in my... Fo- I did meet in my 40 years in, mm. in um, sort of peering through the keyhole of football. So um, everybody wants him to succeed, but his experience is, is not good. And um, the, the, the terrible thing is, I think somebody said many, many years ago, is the surest way of parting company with a football club is to become its manager. Mm-hmm. And you, you wonder if, if, if things don't go right and Chelsea are going to really struggle to cope financially with a relatively small ground uh, with question marks hanging over the ownership, mm-hmm. Chelsea will, are going to find it very hard to remain a top four, a top six side, let alone a top four side, over the next five years. So what, obviously I have this fear. The answer is I don't know. Some people go straight into management and, <clears throat> you know, with the benefit of one season at Derby County, which admittedly was wonderful um, preparation, um, and and succeed. But... The majority of players do need a, a failure along the way. Chris, and it's going to be easy to fail at Chelsea. Chris, I mean, you've watched a lot of championship football in recent years. Mm. I, I, Leeds, my team, Leeds beat Derby three times, but not the crucial fourth mm. game. You did well to they, work that in. They Five didn't. minutes, 43 seconds. <laughs> 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 but, Chris, uh, what, what's your take on them? You've, you've seen them playing Bolton. I mean, they, I think they... Did they beat you twice? Uh, no, actually, we, we beat them at home, first of all. I think we had like 20% possession and somehow won. 
Um, and then we lost, so we lost 4-0 okay. there. And yeah, it, it could have been a lot, do you think lot he, more. Do you think he's got enough under his belt as a manager to... I, I, I can see the point that it's probably a little, a little bit early. It's still a gamble for sure. Um, and obviously, had it not been Frank Lampard, there's no way someone of that CV at this point would, mm. would be getting it. Yeah, um, but, you know, we'll see, I suppose. I mean, it, in, in a way, I, I like the fact that they're trying to get someone that, you know, it's no, yeah, it identifies with the club, but at the same time, it could go hor- horribly wrong, like Patrick says. So it's it's a great unknown at the moment, just because we haven't seen enough of his managerial career to be. Is, to is there any really former enough. Bolton player you would gladly have back as a manager? Well, I mean, the, I was I was talking about this the other day. It's interesting that the Bolton have done this twice since. You know, Two big examples during my time following them. One was Sam Allardyce, who took us all the way up to the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the next one was Owen Coyle, who took us all the way back back down again. <laughs> so it can go both ways, really. I mean, both of those times, you know, Bolton fans were really happy with, you well, know, to have those that, those people appointed. Yeah. Well, when you, when when Owen Coyle at one stage was the next big thing in yeah, the wasn't Oh yeah, he was talked about as the Arsenal manager. Yeah, yes, and, and actually, at Bolton he started off really well, but as soon he as did, it yeah. as soon as it turned, he didn't know how to arrest that slide, and it yes, just got worse yes, and worse. Yeah. I think that's the key to it. I think if you, I think from if you think about Lampard's playing career, yeah. he was never in a difficult position. He was never in a relegation battle. He came through a pretty good no. West Ham team with a lot of other good young players like Carrick and Defoe yeah. and Rio Ferdinand. He knew the the, the management, knew the club inside out because his father. And then of Chelsea, he was so long involved in Chelsea through this mm. golden period ever. Well, he developed and and became yeah. instead of an old. Uh, well, he became probably the highest scoring midfield player, uh, mm. one of the highest scoring, mid, probably the highest scoring midfield player, top class one in the world. Do you think he should bring anybody in with him beyond Jody Morris? I, mean, I remember if you think when yes. when Keegan used to have Arthur Cox, was also always a steady force in the start of Keegan's yeah, I think that's career. A, I think that's, that's a bit, it's an, almost a rhetorical question. That is so um, important. Jody Morris is a, uh, is hugely respected actually mm. for the work he has already done in the game, but he he doesn't have long ex- uh, great experience and and perhaps yeah there is a call for someone there. I mean it, it, to give the example of my own little club Dundee in Scotland, we've just appointed a thirty four year old former player. Seven minutes to mention Dundee. <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it, James. But. Uh, He's called James McPake, but he's been very careful to bring in around him Jimmy Nicholl, the old Manchester United mm-hmm. fullback who's been working in Scotland for many years and with the Northern Ireland team. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got really solid experience. Um, plus, they're hoping that Gordon Strachan will help her in a part-time. So, yes, absolutely vital uh, to mm-hmm. have experience around you and the one thing I suppose with that is although you know he won't be full time he will have Harry Redknapp to speak to anytime he wants for advice mm-hmm. in terms of how to manage people because I know I remember <laughs> speaking to Harry a couple of years back and he said well if if when Frank goes into management if he ever wants an assistant I might, I might be interested mm. obviously you know, he's got Jody Morris but he certainly you know he, he can call him at any time of the day and get advice about managerial situations but mm. I suppose that's different to being to Harry actually being in the club and seeing everything at the do you same. seriously think that's an option I mean, I, I, I don't, don't mean if it's. Do no, you I don't seriously th- think I, that's a good thing because I've spoken to yeah. players who've mm. played for Harry mm. privately mm. and they've been surprised by how little he actually did and, and how much of it was uh, Kevin Bond and Joe True. Jordan. I, mean, I can't do any harm to get that. I mean, I'm not saying and that. And they're not that, players yeah. with a grudge, by the way. They're um, players yeah. who are very close with Harry's son. I'm not saying that doesn't mean he should have someone there full time as del- well. The, the yeah. telephone and the l- dinner table yeah. should do. 
should take care of that. Yeah. But, but yeah, you're, you're quite right. Also, the fact that Frank, quite apart from Harry Redknapp, Frank, in his time, will have made enough friends. Yeah, uh, absolutely. For, mean, for Jose Mourinho, you know, for a yeah. ex- yeah. perfect example. Yeah, yeah. Um, that you know, nobody's going to see his name come up on their phone and and reject the call. Mm. So, I mean, I think that's that's a good point. So very quickly, uh, v- the VAR decision this week denied Scotland yeah. their, their victory against Argentina. As a Scot, did that hurt? And what do you no. think of VAR yeah. on the penalty line? For Because go- most keepers move. Yes. They take a step forward, don't it, they? Yeah. I mean, there are not many penalties that shouldn't have been ruled out on, on the grounds of the what happened to Scotland. Um, I wouldn't have a problem with an edict at the start of a tournament that zero tolerance is going to be observed. And I mean zero meaning zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, that there's going to be retrospective views. Um, th- there are other ways of doing it. I mean, the the problem with, with, with VAR, somebody tweeted, I, I can't remember who it was now, somebody tweeted this morning or yesterday about VAR. Um, it, it, it's... People are going to, it's apologists or the people who believe in it are going to say it's like communism. It it works. It's just that people haven't done it properly yet. And I think that's a, a very why I can't, I wish I could remember who said it because it's a, a very. John Nicholson. John Nicholson, you're quite right. Um, author and, um, and, and, and writer on football. And, and he uh, put the, hit the nail on the head. It, but it has, they have made such a mess of the introduction right from the start for about 10 years i was calling for i didn't call it var i called it video video assistance and um it shouldn't be a palaver it should Mm. simply be the fourth official have a fifth official to hold up the numbers for goodness sake you could have anybody i could hold up numbers any fool can do that have the fourth official who's equally qualified with the referee looking at a television screen, seeing exactly what the viewer sees. If he or she sees something wrong, buzz the referee and over... Well, he... Cause he, he, cause he it's, w- qu- it's quicker in rugby league, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, mean I, used to, I used to cover a rugby league team for quite, quite a few years. And, yeah, which I mean, team was that? Uh, Warrington Wolves in the Super okay. League, yeah. And, and actually, in, in rugby league, I thought it worked quite well. You, you had the big screen in the stadium where everyone could see what was going on. It didn't... You know, sometimes it could take a while, but... Uh, I think the big big thing as well is that in in rugby league you sometimes get tries ruled out, but you're getting like ten twelve tries a match. So if you mm. lose one, it's not a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think you should compare yeah. it with rugby or yeah. cricket, which are games that stop and start and are are are, are perfect. American football perfect for mm-hmm. for VAR. Football is a completely different thing. If it loses its continuousness mm-hmm. and its apparent focus on the pitch, I mean the crowd. Uh, particularly in English football, the crowd uh, the crowd play the game, mm. and for so to anything that causes even a second's delay, my my vision was that the VAR video assistance would speed the game up, because instead of the linesman having to flag, yeah, yeah. it could just be done with a word in the ear, so mm-hmm. it would actually improve the continuousness. The people who have have done it have managed to cock things up so that it actually slows. Up a game which uniquely relies on continuousness. Okay, let's leave VIR because no one likes it. Really, I don't think no, no one in the right. They mind. liked it before Let, it came l- in. 
let us talk a little bit about your writing career because mm. you that should are be a quick section. Pardon? That should be a quick section. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you'll be very modest. You've been the chief football writer of for the Times, the Guardian, the yeah. Independent, and the Telegraph. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're the only person's ever ever done all, all four, four supposedly serious newspapers. Yeah. Well, it was yeah serious before yeah. I got there. I mean, it's a strange thing because as as as, as journalists and editors, yeah. we all love reading about football yeah uh, and I, we've got to hope that the the listeners mm. uh, uh, who also love reading about football rather than just the football content itself yeah um but we're going to indulge ourselves here and, and talk a little bit about you know what you've done over the years how did you start out as a football writer oh it was just it was just pure luck it was um and luckily it continued for 40 years. But it, it, it was just that uh, my newspaper at the time, The Guardian, I was a, a sub-editor, you know, working yep. inside these unseen heroes of journalism. And I, I always wanted to do something to do with football, but it wasn't going to happen. And then along came something which we, it's a, quite funny now, we called it new technology. But I mean, it was... It was, it was computers, but it, was, it wasn't even, it was pre-computers. It was a thing called teletype setting. And the two, the two football writers took redundancy. I, dis asked, I went down on my hands and knees and pleaded with the editor. Who, who was that? Peter Preston. Okay. Who was... A Millwall uh, fan. A Millwall fan, a late uh, Millwall yeah. fan. Uh, but yes, loved his football, did uh, Peter. And, uh, not I a very typical Millwall fan. I no, say. no, <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. An intellectual was Peter Preston, a, and a magnificent writer before he became editor. But anyway, he um, and, and he agreed, and so with no training in reporting at all, within two weeks, I was in Juventus's old stadium, the Stadio Comunale, covering Juventus against Man City in the. I don't know, Cup Winners' Cup or something. And, uh, is this in the 70s? This was in 1977, 76-7 wow. season. I didn't know, I hadn't a clue um, what to do. I used to come away from matches with a raging migraine because I, I just found it so difficult. And, um, well, gradually, I suppose it got easier. Yeah. It was, uh, it was just, so that was just pure luck. But I mean, it what was sort of access to get to the players. Great, uh, a bit more, a bit more. Not as much as they like to pretend. You know, the old players come up to me and, you know, they, they make out that we were going out together and, um, you know, falling in gutters in um, Lisbon and Madrid together. It wasn't like, it wasn't like was that. Was there one early on that you kind of thought, okay, this is going to be great? Was there a player or a manager that you spent time yeah, with? Yeah, well, I can remember Howard Wilkinson. Um, I went to interview him. Ding! <laughs> <laughs> That's <funny>. Your uh, <laughs> title-winning manager. Uh, Howard uh, was, at that time, he was chief coach, um, very much ahead of his time at Notts County, and he played a 3-5-2 with a sweeper, mm -hmm. a guy called Pedro Richards. And I was fascinated by this because I, I, I always loved the 3-5-2 system. So I went and interviewed him, and it was a very esoteric piece, you know, mm -hmm. uh, about this system and, and how, how Howard um, implemented it. And afterwards, he wrote to me and said, you know, we've all often criticized journalists. I'd like to thank you for that piece because it so accurately reflected our conversation. I always remembered that. And it was probably the only time it ever happened. I mean, they just take the praise. That's what I found. 40 years, they take the praise, they lap it up like cream. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as you say something mildly critical, 
uh, you suddenly find the blank in you in the in the corridors. But I still loved it. The, the main thing was we're going to talk, I think, about Maradona later. Yeah, yeah. I saw Maradona dozens of times. Mm-hmm. I saw him in a dozens of. Di- I saw his first game in uh, Britain, which was in Scotland, I, and I can remember it clearly. I saw his first game in at Wembley. Yeah. Uh, saw both his games at Wembley because he played for the rest of the world there, and and I, I, I saw Maradona and Messi all the way through their careers. Yeah. And you know, I mean, just to have done that. Yeah. I was there for the hand of God with Maradona. Mm. I was Let's talk about that in a bit. Let's all right. Yeah. I mean, that was the privilege, seeing all that football. So did anyone kind of mentor you at the start of your career? No. <laughs> <laughs> and it showed. Uh, no, but, but there were some people. There were some people uh, that were very, very friendly. I mean, there's there a couple I'd like to mention. One, one was a, a, a writer called Colin Malam. Does everybody... anybody? Uh, the Telegraph. And I ended up working with him at The Telegraph. He uh, He's still still fine and but he's in retirement like me and it, but he was very very helpful particularly when i started with england and you know the one or two people saying you know what's this new kid on the block you know and uh colin malam cut through all that he was terrific and the other one's brian the great brian glanville you know mm-hmm. who i think maybe some people looking from outside would think he was you know an ivory tower because he's such a great mm. great great journalist and he's done so much um in and out of football Yet Brian always had any amount of time. Patrick Collins, mm-hmm. another great writer. You know, the, 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 even Hugh McIlvanny, who the mm-hmm. late Hugh McIlvanny, yeah. who had a reputation for being, um, you know, a little bit, um, um, you know, a, a, above everybody, and a, even to the extent of aggression at times. He's a great but, writer. But a great, great writer. And he was very helpful. He was one of the best colleagues I ever saw. So what, what basically I would say is that all the greats, mm-hmm. um, uh, Ian Wooldridge was another great one when, when I was um, growing up, Brian James, and uh, John Mo- the late John Moynihan, who's, who's so son Leo. you did have Leo. some mentors then. <laughs> so I, actually, <laughs> I did. But all, it was always the great ones, you know, who, who had time for you. Yeah. The bigger they were, the more helpful. Uh, that was what I found, yeah. Did you have, uh, how did you get into it? Um, so, I mean, uh, originally I, I kind of, uh, I wrote to a few people, um, kind of, uh, for, for advice and things like that. Had uh, you studied journalism? Um, so I originally I studied maths, which was uh, <laughs> a slight change. Well, it's good for league tables. Well, yeah, it? yeah, absolutely. For the stats, I was fine. So and it was then, your hobby? Uh, it was, and then I got to the end of my university and thought, actually, what do I want to do? And, and study journalism from, from there. Yeah. So yeah. that, that was why I changed. I mean, we right. do get, we get yeah. loads of emails mm. from young men or women with first expert work experience we just had was uh, a, a young writer called Chelsea and she's like you know the, uh, typical of the people that are wanting to come to in, into it it's uh, is she still a student yeah she should um, join the football writers association as a student member oh, no, she's just she's just finished yeah right but yeah. it was just she could still join the football yeah. as a student member okay. it's something that we're, the football writers association is very keen to do because it gives them a, we a get direct inundated. We get, people want to do yeah. this job yeah and they still um, do. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. So you've more recently written these big books on... um Ferguson, Mourinho, Herbert Chapman, the great Arsenal yeah. and former Leeds manager. Yes. Uh, and most recently, Matt Busby. Yeah. Is there anything that you are finding is consistent with all of those people? Having spent, I assume, <coughs> the best part of a year at least studying them. Yeah. What traits well, that uh, we might not think... I mean, obviously, they all want to win. Yeah. But but there, there's one thing about background that sticks out. Now, Mourinho's the... Exception, but yeah. all the other three, Ferguson, Busby. Well, two of them came from mining backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Ferguson came from uh, the old west of Scotland industrial. The ship. Uh, his father was in the shipyards. He was in an engineering factory. Um, so I, I think that thread is definitely. And if if you extend it to Jock Steen, you know, ex-miner and so mm-hmm. Shankly, and that that heavily industrial, the interdependence of the heavily industrial, but. It, on the other hand, you look at Mourinho, came from a middle-class, mm-hmm. relatively privileged background in uh, in Stubal in Portugal. So, uh, the, yeah, the, but but apart from that, um, Mourinho is very very different. He was the first of the academic stroke managers, the people who went to university to learn, like you know, you did uh, mm-hmm. to be a journalist, yeah. went to university to learn to be a football manager, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because he had no career, whereas the others were steeped in football. Did, I presume that you met Bobby Robson a few times. Did yes. You, did, yeah. did you see any of Robson and Mourinho? Yes. I mean, the the relationship between... When I was writing about Mourinho, Robson was one of the most helpful people mm-hmm. to me. Um, a, a wonderful man and a very eloquent man. So it, it helped the book along. His quotes were absolutely what was fantastic. His, what was just, but what, you know... What sorry. Was just, I just want to ask, just before we move off Robson... Yeah. What was his attitude in later years about his the end of his England management career? Mm. Uh, was uh, he resentful about that he didn't? No, he, if he was, you would have had to get inside his head and drag it out. He was a remarkable man, not least because of this innate dignity that he had. Mm-hmm. He must have resented it. He must have felt like going to some of those reporters who'd or journalists who'd who'd uh, had a go at him when he who'd k- kicked him when he was down, and uh, and had a go back because he was eminently positioned to do. He'd become a revered figure, rightly so. Uh, but I honestly never saw that, and I, I I can't speak for all my fellow journalists, but I, uh, you know George Colkin up in the northeast knew mm-hmm. him very very well towards the end of his life. You know, George may have a view, but I'll bet mm. he never saw that bitterness. 
because he didn't have were any. You at, were you at the press conference when um, Graham Taylor yeah. made the comment about how Gazzari fueled himself? Yeah. Uh-huh. Because at the time, as a fan, yeah. I, don't, I had nothing to do with football journalism, but mm. he... I remember thinking he's so out of touch. He doesn't know what he's doing. What's that got to do with everything? Because everyone assumed he was talking about Mars bars. Yes, but that's right. Because obviously, because had did you them. guys know that those of you that were close we and around him that Gaza alcohol. had a problem? Yeah. And is there a is there a margin? How ma- how big is the margin of that doesn't get reported? Because actually, Graham yeah. Taylor was doing him a great. Yes. Um, serviced, you yes, know, he was. telling him to get himself together in actually quite a caring and constructive way. Yes, because um, Graham Taylor w- was a, a bit like Bobby. He uh, uh, Graham was more obvious, um, rounded human being than Bobby, but they they both were. But what what Graham could see was the whole picture yeah. with Gaza, and um, uh, yeah, I I don't I think it'd be fanciful to say he was he was it was a cry for help on behalf of yeah um but he um he he knew what he was saying and he knew there was a danger there i mean uh, my god unfortunately he's been proved right now obviously chapman and busby are long gone Mm. so i don't know if this really plays but of of the big four that you've written about Mm. in depth Mm. who is your favorite Probably Busby, I okay. would say, because um, although I did fall in love, I fall, fell in love with all of them. Um, during Late the night conversations. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Staring endlessly into old footage on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, and, and sometimes I even texted Herbert at midnight. No, um, it, 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 the answer is, yeah, you, you fall in love with all of them uh, during it while, while you're while you're writing about them, I think that's true. I suppose Ferguson would be the exception to that because, um, you know, I'd had my fair share of rows with him. But even Ferguson, uh, who actually put a lot, who did some, in my opinion, a slightly naughty thing um, while I was researching mm-hmm. him with Jose Mourinho, uh, even Ferguson uh, is a hero to me. I would hate him to know this, but I kind of idolise him. And so the the answer is all of them. Is there anybody that you've not done yet who you of that stature? No, uh, if Clough, can, Revy, Shankly. If you can think of anybody. The trouble is everybody has done them. Everybody has really been done. That you know, we we talk a lot about the pub- problems in publishing and, yeah. and so on, but when when you try to look for a subject that hasn't been addressed, uh, I mean, was it last year, two years ago, Bella Goodman, the the old. What a, a wonderful story he had, and it was told by uh, David Bolchover. So, you know, so much. Hey, listen, if there's anybody either here or listening to the podcast who's got any ideas, please give them to me because I'm okay. looking for them. And do you find that with, with these, these great managers, that, uh, do they, they all have a flaw do you, do you, in some way, or is it not necessarily that Definitely way? Definitely they do. Yeah. Um, it'd probably be actionable if I told you what they were in, <laughs> the, in the case of the living ones. Um, but, uh, I mean, Mourinho's, uh, actually, I'll, I'll break, uh, I'm not sure if Sher- Herbert Chapman had a flaw, actually, <laughs> or I didn't find it out. But um, His biggest fault was leaving Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> you would say that. 
Uh, I think some people would say his biggest fault was living uh, leaving Huddersfield, um, but they they carried on pretty well without him. But no, the um, with Mourinho, I think his inability under pressure to forget mm. that his act is an act. Mm. You know, he, he's starting to believe mm. his stage persona. Mm. Uh, and that's something that if, if, if I were sitting around a table and he asked me for advice, that would be what I would say. Uh, Ferguson has flaws, which, you know, you, you know uh, basically uh, if you're um, inside the tent being out, you're fine. If you're outside, it doesn't matter whether you're peeing in or not. You're not, and that's there's a a, a control freakery. Or there they, was, presumably they there need was. that. Presumably that he needed that uh, to make. The, I always thought yeah, what was interesting I about Ferguson was he basically operated on the Millwall policy mm. that everyone's against us. Yeah, and yet strange to do that Aberdeen. from the top of the the pile. Well, I I couldn't agree with you more. I I, I hope I I brought that point out a couple of times in my career that that was thoroughly appropriate if you understand Scottish football that was thoroughly appropriate at Aberdeen because Rangers and Celtic there was a perception that Rangers and Celtic played the referees um, or that crowds played the referees yeah. even if the referees were straight the crowds would give you a, an advantage so the, everything was stacked against the so-called provincial clubs so that was appropriate and it really did work I mean the Aberdeen players went into old games against the old firm willing to kill you know mm. I mean uh, the, 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 uh, but it did look almost humorous at Manchester United that the richest, most m financially muscular club around was portraying itself as some beleaguered um, uh, victim. Clever. It was laughable, but he got away with it. I mean, you can't look at this unprecedented hall of trophies and say it didn't work. <laughs> so the man is a genius as well as a... Excellent. Okay, at that point, we're going to just we're going to leave the past and come up to date with the present. Mm. We have covered some of the big talking points from world of football earlier, but what are the most popular stories on the Four Four Two website this week? Here's Tanya Snugs to tell us. Thanks, James. At five, the most capped England under twenty one players ever, and what happened to them? At number four, can you name these national teams from their nicknames? At three, don't blame VAR, why its new rules are causing penalty problems at the Women's World Cup. We reveal how Bernardo Silva could enter the race for the Ballon d'Or at number two. And at one, remembering Chelsea's last season before Roman Abramovich arrived. Thank you, Tanya. OK, halfway through discussing your career, you, Paddy, you did start... To oh, yeah. mention Maradona. Uh, Chris, Maradona. you've seen the Maradona film. Yeah. I saw it a, a while ago yeah, when yeah. we were looking at how to cover it in the magazine. I, I thought it was a fantastic film. You've seen it. Yeah. Let's just bring everybody up who hasn't seen it yet up, up to date. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, for, for raw, raw motion and gravitas, probably the second best football film, film I've ever seen, just behind Mike Bassett, England manager, I'd say. Right. Okay. But, <laughs> but, um, but yeah. was a good film. <laughs> no, it, 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 was, it was tremendous. I mean... It, I was fascinated. I, I knew some of uh, the stuff that was covered in the in the film, but um, I didn't know the entirety of what happened with Maradona. It was just before I started following football, and it, that whole time, particularly at, at, at Napoli, was just amazing to me to to see like just think like the the unveiling in front of a full stadium, 
the helicopter shots. It was just. I was amazed by the the opening shots of mm. this small car yeah. driving through a city, yeah. and then eventually gets to the stadium, and it's Maradona, yeah. and he's in a Fiat Punto or something equivalent. Yeah, you can never not imagine a limousine, that, no, yeah. not arriving a helicopter, not a police escort. Yeah, he's just bombing along in a little blue car. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it looked looked pretty dangerous as well, didn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, well, no, it, I mean it, to see to see those. I mean, it, one it makes me want to go to to, Nap- to Naples yes. to, to yeah. see a match there, which yeah. I've still not done, um, and two just. It just gave you a, such a, and obviously not just the good things of Maradona, the bad things as well. I mean, I, I remember in the film, I think his, his his personal trainer or his fitness trainer was saying about there's two sides to him. There's Diego, mm. the the human being, and there's Maradona, the superstar. And I think he said, for for Diego, I, I'd walk to the end of the earth for him. For Maradona, I wouldn't walk a single step. And I thought <laughs> that sum, summed it up he really well. He is the most interesting voice in the film. I mean, Maradona, yeah. they, they, they spoke to him for about three or four hours, I think. And you never see Maradona, but you hear his voice. And but definitely, the, uh, I mean, I, if you've not seen it, it'll probably end up on Netflix or Amazon or something. But do, do try and go and see it at the cinema because seeing the the footage on the big the big screen yeah. uh, was fantastic. And the way that they've dubbed in sound effects on the impact on the ball and then the ball rolling into the net is it's the first time I've ever come away from a film impressed. With with incidental sound effects, I don't mm. want to get all techy, mm. but um, so Paddy, you watched Maradona live yeah. throughout yeah. his career. Yes, I did. Uh, I I mean, I cannot wait to see this film. I, I was looking forward to it even before you uh, gave that very graphic account of one of the best um, points of it. So I'm absolutely desperate to see the film. But yeah, I was. Um, I mean, I was very lucky in that I saw. A lot of both players live. Did, uh, did you see his debut against? Yeah, I was. I went to for Napoli. I went to Naples for his first league game, uh, which was against Sampdoria. Um, I can remember Maradona made and took the penalty that gave Napoli, Napoli a one-all draw. Sampdoria's goal. You're probably going to ask me who scored for Sampdoria. Gianluca Viali. A very thin Gianluca Viali. Curly hair. Curly hair. And uh, a sort of not as chunky a body as he was later to. Were Trevor Francis and Sunes? Yeah, the Sampdoria team included uh, Trevor Francis and Graham Sunes. And in fact, I I well remember the night before the game, I was staying in the same hotel as Sampdoria uh, in Naples. And um, uh, it was Saturday night. I thought, I'm in Naples. I went for a pizza, best pizza, still to this day, the best pizza I've ever had. And went back for to the hotel for a few beers. And Francis and, and Sunes joined me. So the three of us were sitting around. And they were right. I remember we were right behind the lift. And every now and again, the coach, I'm trying to remember who the coach at Sampdoria was, would come out uh, to check on his players. And every time he went back in the lift, Sunes would reach over, grab my beer, and take a swig out of it before the coach <laughs> came back. Because they weren't, they weren't, now, weren't allowed to drink. They weren't well, allowed to drink. In our story, in the current issue, mm. uh, Andy Mitten tracks down Maradona in Mexico. Mm. He, oh, he, he, brilliant he, piece. He cites uh, Sunes and Brown Robson as well, actually, as the two best British players mm. he played against. Yeah. Well, the, he was uh, uh, the victim of Brian Robson in one of the greatest games ever seen at Old Trafford, I would say. Uh, when Barcelona were 2-0 up from the first leg and, and uh, United, inspired by Brian Robson, won, won 3-0. And Mar- so Maradona saw vintage 
Brian Robson, mm. but uh, also encountered him on the international stage. But uh, yeah, Graham Souness, I mean, more and more as the years go by, he's becoming um, appreciated as a world-class player. He could have helped himself by turning up for Scotland a bit more often. But <laughs> the thing is, he is now. He's now being uh, accepted as a world-class player. Do you know that the only time Graham featured in the Ballon d'Or top 10 was his season in Sa Sampdoria for all his success mm. in Liverpool. It was, it was, it took the move to well, Italy for him to become really noticed on a European. But I think when a British player, I think that's quite. I mean, it's amazing. Did Keegan win it at Liverpool because he uh, won it at Hamburg. Hamburg. Won it at Hamburg, yeah. I think maybe. I still think now, you know, when the British players go and play abroad, it, it gives them a, uh, it elevates their position a little bit. If you think yeah. about Chris Waddle or yes. Uh, Yes. Um, on Hargreaves, obviously, Stevens. was there before he ever came here. But mm. you know, Paul Lambert did well at, at Dortmund. Yes, and, uh, it, it it gives them a status. That it, it shows you. Yep. Steve McManaman was really well loved at, at Real Madrid. At Real Madrid, yeah, he could. I mean, he could walk into a, any restaurant in Madrid and get around. I went out with him one night in Madrid yeah. after the Madrid derby, and he, you're right, he was like, they called him the Lord of the Manor or something like that, and he, mm. they just adored him. Mm. Absolutely adored him. Chris though. Waddle told me when, when, when he was at Marseille, he said, I've been here two years now and I've never paid for a coffee, a meal, <laughs> anything. <laughs> revered. Absolutely revered. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think, I think when you prove yourself in two leagues rather than just one, then it, it, it has to elevate you as a player, really. Well, Jaden Sancho. Yeah. To bring it right up. Absolutely. Today, if yeah. he comes back to the Premier League at some point, which you expect he probably will do and do yeah. well, then, yeah. yeah, he'll certainly be earning a lot of money through, uh, through the, the situation. Well, he's, 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 he's played himself into the England squad Absolutely, through his yeah. performances and, in Germany. And done well for England yeah. as well. Yeah. Do you think more players should go? Yes. Uh, I do. I think it's uh, invariably. I, 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 I think mainly as people. The problem is that the English league, uh, the Premier League, uh, has now become so good. Mm -hmm. uh, probably it's stronger vis-à-vis -vis the rest of the world than it's ever been. I know we still fear Barcelona and Real Madrid, but um, it it is so strong that the uh, you know the imperative. To, to go abroad as, as McManaman or, or uh, Waddle did mm -hmm. to play at the very, very highest level uh, is no longer there. Uh, but it still helps, instead of the superstars, it helps the Jaden Sanchos who are making their way, way towards superstardom. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I remember speaking to Ralph Ranick at, at Leipzig a couple of years back, yeah. and this was just the start of the point where that they and other Bundesliga clubs were trying to get English players over there, yeah. and he was saying it was so hard to persuade players to go over there because they wouldn't just wouldn't leave the island. This this island island mentality that people stay in England anyway, and obviously as you say as well because yeah. the Premier League was so strong. Yeah. It was interesting that from the, at that point of him saying, "Well, we're trying, but we're not having a lot of luck." That suddenly you know more and more players are now starting to make that journey to the Bundesliga. They, they, they've just these kids have got to play football. Mm. And they're not doing. I think yes, that's the key that element for me. You. That Completely. actually, if you do go and play for a, a leading Dutch or, or, yeah. or Spanish or German or Portuguese club, you are going to play football. You learn through playing, through, through playing football under pressure. That's yeah. that's that's how you uh, you learn it. And obviously, if you're playing in front of forty thousand in the forty fifty thousand in the Bundesliga every week, that's pressure. You know, if you know that many people are watching you, you can play any amount of elite, uh, underage or or 
reserve football. I don't know what's it called now. That under twenty one thing. The development league. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Twenty threes. Yeah, you can play any amount of that, and you can pretend that it's competitive. They're like friendlies. If there's if there's twenty five people and a dog watching, you know, there's no no way that's competitive. What's your next book? Don't know. You tell me. You, <laughs> you, you. You're not in the middle of one. No, no, I'm not. No, I, 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 my ambition, uh, that my ambition now, is to write an article for four four two. Excellent. Our ambition is to get one from you, and I know that you. We've agreed a couple coming up. Okay. So listen. Thanks for coming, in, Chris Paddy. Thank you. It's great Thank talking you. to you. The latest edition of four four two is out now. It features Andy Mitten's piece with Maradona, Susie Rack and Anna Castle on the Lionesses, who at this point are, are now through into the next uh, level of, of the Women's World Cup. And uh, there's also a very good piece with Irving Welsh about his love of Hibs and uh, much, much more. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast via Spotify and iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter at 442. Chris, you at Chris Flanagan? Uh, at C Flanagan FFT. Are you on Twitter? Buddy? Yeah, at Paddy Barkley. Um, and I'm James James Brown. Uh, until next time, goodbye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.